Welcome back to the third season of Suiting Up Varsity, a podcast dedicated to the sound of the band, the smell of popcorn, the feel of an old letter jacket, the sight of teenagers hoisting trophies high above their heads, and most of all, to the grand history and fantastic stories of Nebraska prep sports. Join us as we look back in time at the great moments from a century plus of Nebraska high school athletics. This week, we time travel to a football game at Fremont's Memorial Stadium. It's Friday night, Friday the 13th, in fact, September 1985. We arrive at halftime, and the scoreboard shows a game that is close, but going as expected. Fremont and its returning All-State quarterback, Jerry Godowski, lead Norfolk 7-0. Godowski, dangerous with both his arm and his feet, has led the Tigers down the field in the second quarter of a scoreless contest and finished the drive with a 10-yard strike to James Tainer. If we mill around the Norfolk crowd during the halftime activities, we might hear a certain element of resignation, a belief that the odds are just stacked too steeply against the Panthers tonight. And it's not just because of Godowski, the future Husker starting quarterback, the already multiple-time state track champion, the reigning Omaha World Herald Athlete of the Year, and the athlete who will win the Lincoln Journal Star version at the end of this school year. No, the belief in Norfolk is that the Panthers just don't win in Fremont. And that belief might be backed up by a statement like this. We might hear a Panther fan say, the Panthers haven't won in Fremont for 40 years, haven't won at Fremont's home field since World War II was still raging in 1944. In fact, the belief in Norfolk is that the Panthers have never won in Fremont's Memorial Stadium, even though that facility was built and dedicated 32 years ago in 1953. I know for a fact there are people from Norfolk in 1985 who believe this set of facts because I see that startling claim repeated when the Panther Yearbook of 1986 is published the next spring. In fact, the yearbook statement is, quote, Norfolk has not beaten the Tigers since 1944. Wow. Now, I read a lot of old yearbooks, and I know to take things printed there with a certain skepticism, especially historical claims. After all, these books are written and published primarily by 17- and 18-year-olds whose idea of ancient history is something that happened 16 months ago in the spring of their sophomore year. And this is a whopper of a claim. These aren't two teams that just play once in a blue moon. This isn't Norfolk and Alliance, who despite sharing multiple decades together in the Big Ten Conference, were always in opposite divisions and separated by over 300 miles of highway and sand hills. And this isn't Fremont and some nearby but traditionally smaller school that may have found its way onto a Tiger football schedule once in a decade or two. No, this is Norfolk and Fremont, and I know they have both resided in the East Big Ten in every year from 1945 to 1985. In fact, those dates catch my eye because 1945 to 1985 are the years on the Nebraska Big Ten Conference's headstone. Is it possible that these two teams played every fall for the complete 40 years that that conference existed and Norfolk never won? No. It just can't be. Still, a claim like this doesn't just get up, get made up from whole cloth in a yearbook either. It comes from somewhere. So the first thing I do is I head to the old newspapers and see what happened between Norfolk and Fremont in 1944, which is the year before this purported streak begins. 
I remember from our episode in season one about the greatest athletes in each school's history that the great Mac Robinson would have been playing for Norfolk in 44. I checked the ratings and find the Panthers finishing the year unbeaten and ranked number three by Greg McBride, behind once-beaten Lincoln High at number two, and the only team that beat the Lynx that year, unbeaten Kearney, as state champions. McBride honored a pair of Panthers on his 11-man All-State squad in 44. Robinson, of course, was one. McBride called him, quote, the hardest running back I saw during the season, a fine triple threader and a good leader. The Norfolk ace could use his weight for a plunge or an off-tackle slant in which his speed swept him past the secondary. McBride also chose lineman Bob Farner, who he noted was one of the youngest players ever honored as All-State at only 15 years old. Farner was a 200-pounder who, according to McBride, gave the Panthers a strong forward wall and handles his weight with surprising speed. Norfolk, behind those two, was unbeaten in 44, but not untied. Columbus played them even 6-6 in late October. Two weeks after that, the Panthers traveled to Albion and rocked the Cardinals 97-0. And then, on November 10, they defeated Fremont 33-14 behind a pair of Bob Long touchdowns. Fremont was no slouch, with their own All-State choice in the backfield, uh, Kirk Lee. But there it was, the first confirmation that this 40-year futility claim could have some truth. In 1944, Norfolk had gone to Fremont and won. Is it possible that they hadn't done so again until 1985? I was intrigued. Since the first day I conceived of this podcast, on my list of possible topics was great rivalries. The problem I've always have have with that is, which rivalries does one look at? Every school has one, most have a couple. And really, we all think the rivalries to which we have a personal connection are the most intense, the most historic, the most interesting, the most colorful. But in reality, they almost all share the same recipe. One, nearby location to create create familiarity and maybe a little contempt. Two, repeated competition to create tradition and maybe some hard feelings. And three, a shared district and conference membership to create high stakes. Mix that together and boom, you've got a rival. Rinse and repeat. Can one tell the stories of high school sports history anywhere without talking about rivalries? Of course not. But how do you focus on just one? I didn't know. Then I ran across that sentence in that Norfolk yearbook. All rivalries have their ups and downs, and certainly there are some that are based on a big brother-little brother dynamic. But often, if you look at the big picture, in any rivalry, if you look at the full century that some teams have been playing, or at least multiple decades like this legend was focusing upon with Fremont and Norfolk, you usually find the series record trending towards 50-50 pretty hard. Another factor is that Norfolk and Fremont probably isn't at the top of either school's rivalry list. To me, I always think of Columbus as the number one rival of both. In fact, I knew offhand that the Tigers and Discoverers play football for the FC Trophy, and that Columbus and Norfolk keep track of wins and losses in every sport each year to decide the Maroon Cup. I had to Google Fremont-Norfolk rivalry to find out that they play every year for the silver football. Still, I've always considered that a triangle of rivalry. So where next? Well, I was interested. Could this possibly be true? 
So I headed to 1945, the first year of the Big Ten Conference. If Fremont was going to run off an unbelievable 40-year run of wins, and I knew they'd have to have played every year because of the way the Big Ten was set up, it was going to have to start in 1945. It took a little digging to find because the game had been moved from its Armistice Day slot for the first time in a couple decades and was played in late September. But there was the score, Norfolk 27, Fremont 0. That certainly was not the first loss in four decades of futility. In fact, with that game, I found a list of recent games in the series, and Norfolk had been owning the Tigers since at least 1935. Fremont only had a 20-6 win in 1940 and a 0-0 tie in 38 to go against eight Norfolk wins. And both the 38 and 40 games had been really affected by weather. They'd been postponed for a full week after November 11th because of snow and cold. They were played in less than optimal conditions. The week before the 1945 game, Grand Island had ended the Panthers' two-year-long unbeaten streak. But they had bounced back to handle the Tigers that year. If this claim of Fremont Fremont dominance had any whiff of truth, it was following a decade when Norfolk had had the upper hand. Okay, so not surprisingly, this 1986 yearbook claim was easy to prove wrong. Fremont had not beaten Norfolk for 40 straight years. Then I thought, maybe I read it wrong. Nope. On going back to the yearbook and rereading, it is still claiming that Norfolk hadn't beaten Fremont since 1944, and I'd already disproved that. Then I see a quote later on in the story from a Norfolk player. He's talking about leaving Fremont after the game. We already know the fall 1985 game was in Fremont. I look at the 1944 clipping. That Norfolk win was in Fremont, too. And, as one would expect, the way schedules work, the 1945-27-0 Norfolk win was in Norfolk. Maybe the yearbook writer misunderstood the history, and the streak was 40 years of losing at Fremont. That streak shrinks the claim to probably 20 games instead of 40. But that would still be astounding. And suddenly, I'm wondering, is that the story? So I decide to get scientific. If Norfolk has only won rarely at Fremont during these four decades, the wins would probably come during the Panthers' best years. So I head for my list of final football ratings. Norfolk was only rated in the final state top 10 in four seasons from 45 to 85. That fits the pattern. If you are losing to a nearby conference foe every other year, that's going to hurt your ratings arguments. I decide to start with those years and see if they played Fremont at home or on the road and see how the game came out. The first year was 45. Check. Already looked there, and it was a Panther win in Norfolk, though. After finishing every year in the top 10 from 1940 to 45, the Panthers don't join that elite company again until 1959, the year Norfolk first plays in the Nebraska Big Ten football playoff game. Probably needed to beat Fremont to win the East Division and qualify, and they did. In late September, Bud Benton ran for one TD and threw another to Wally Davis to build a 14-0 Panther lead. And then Pat Fisher ran for a couple himself and kicked the extra points to finish off the Tigers 27-6. 
By the way, that's not NU and NFL-bound Pat Fisher, who graduated from Omaha Westside, not Norfolk, two years earlier in 1957. That Fisher of Westside played in Nebraska's huge upset of Oklahoma in 1959. This Fisher, spelled without the C in the middle, didn't, didn't play in that great upset, though he was Norfolk's homecoming king, so he's got that going for him. But that game, that 27-6 win, was in Norfolk. The Panthers shut out the rest of the East Division that season, 32-0 over Grand Island, 39-0 over Hastings, and 7-0 over Columbus to claim the crown. Norfolk was nipped in the Big Ten playoff at Scotts Bluff, 14-13, in what would be their only ever appearance in the conference title game. The modified claim that Norfolk didn't win at Fremont from 1944 to 1985, though, is still possible. Next, I thought, what about 58 and 60? Some of the same Panthers that handled the Tigers so easily in 59 would have been playing in those years. Both of those games were in Fremont, but the Tigers won both. In 58, it was a 13-0 shutout. The 1960 game went down to the wire. Fremont led that one 13-0 heading into the fourth quarter when the Panthers rallied. Mac McMahon scored on a run, and then Norfolk got the ball back and drove to the goal line looking for the tying score. The threat ended, though, when a Norfolk runner fumbled into the end zone and Fremont's Fred Kirchman jumped on the ball. Close, but no win in Fremont for the Panthers. It would be 12 more years before Norfolk finished in the top 10 again, 1971. That season, Randy Benish threw for a touchdown and ran for two more as Norfolk beat Fremont 21-19. Norfolk was 7-0 and ranked in the top three that year before losing a game and the Big Ten East to Columbus. But again, that win was in Norfolk. So, what about the years on either side? In 1970, Fremont was looking for an unprecedented four-peat in the Big Ten, having won the conference in 67, 68, and 69. Future Husker receiver Rich Baugh was the Fremont hero in the Norfolk game in 70. He scored every point in the 30-15 Tiger win. He had two touchdown runs of 50 yards plus and a TD reception from 50. He added a 14-yard scoring scamper and a couple PATs and a 35-yard field goal. In November, Fremont dominated Scott's Bluff 53-7 to win that fourth straight Big Ten championship in dominating fashion. Fremont finished 8-1-1 in 1970 and was rated number three in the World Herald and number six in the Journal Star. The Omaha paper crowned 9-1 Creighton Prep, even though they, the Junior Jays had lost the Metro Championship game to a 5-3-1 Omaha Tech team by a 9-6 score. The Lincoln paper rated 7-1-1 Lincoln Southeast, number one, despite a 15-14 loss to a 5-3 Lincoln East team. The Knights' tie was to Fremont. The Tigers' great sin in the ratings game was a late-season home loss to Beatrice, and probably the fact that they weren't in Lincoln and Omaha. That season is easily one of the muddiest ratings pictures ever at the end of a Nebraska season. Back to the topic, though. That's another Norfolk loss in Fremont. I'm starting to be a believer. In 1972, it was Fremont winning 28-0 at home. That leaves only one more final top 10 rating for Norfolk in the era that we are examining, 1982. 
That's also the first time the Panthers ever qualified for the state football playoffs. And I'm additionally encouraged by the even-numbered year. Those first two years we looked at, 59 and 71, were odd years where the game was in Norfolk. If the pattern holds, the 1982 game with one of Norfolk's best teams will be played in Fremont. Norfolk in 1982 was quarterbacked by future Husker player and NFL Super Bowl referee Cleet Blakeman. Blakeman even got the All-State quarterback honor in the World Herald in front of Omaha Westside's Athlete of the Year Jeff Taylor, who was named to the team, but the wishbone operator was listed as a back, not a quarterback. Taylor was still the offensive All-State captain. Remember, Westside in 1982 had maybe the greatest high school football team in state history. So, did Blakeman lead the Panthers to a victory in Fremont? If he did, how could the Norfolk yearbook have forgotten it just four years later? First, I dig up a 1982 schedule and see that, yes, the game was played in Fremont on the last weekend of the regular season. Next, I find a preview to that final regular season week that says Norfolk can clinch a playoff spot with a win. I'm excited knowing that the Panthers do indeed get a spot in the bracket. Alas, in the flood of the final week's results and the playoff math that everyone was doing, I can only find the score to the game. Fremont, 15. Norfolk, 13. A combination of other games, it turns out, including a 10-6 Hastings upset of District 6 champion Kearney, allowed Norfolk to still make the playoffs. But they have to travel to 9-0 Omaha Northwest instead of making a trip west to play a Grand Island team they had beaten earlier in September. The Panthers, once 7-0 and rated number 3 in the state, will lose their last three games of 1982 to Columbus, then Fremont, and then that playoff game at Northwest. At this point, I'm starting to be a yearbook believer. Maybe Norfolk never won a single game in Fremont during the 40-year history of the Nebraska Big Ten Conference. The only thing left for me to do is start working through every year and see if there's a Panther Road win there that history forgot. I did that. Here are the final totals I found out. In the Big Ten era, 45-85, to 85, Fremont owned the Norfolk series, going 31-8-1 with that tie coming in 1975 in Norfolk when the Panthers' Dave Welch blocked a second-half Fremont PAT to keep the teams tied. The longest winning streak during that era was eight when Fremont won every contest from 1949 to 1956. The first of those games was the inaugural game of Norfolk's veteran Memorial Park Field, where the Panthers still play their home games today. Norfolk, during that time, never won two straight games. The Panthers' best set of years in the series was a 2-2-1 run from 71-75. to Both the wins and the tie were at home in Norfolk. Fremont's largest margin of victory during the era was 56-0 in 1968 when the Tigers behind All-Staters John Strong and Jeff Shada were unbeaten but lost out on the newspaper state titles again to Lincoln High when Scott's Bluff tied Fremont 20-20 in the Big Ten playoff game. Norfolk's biggest win of the series was 40-7 in 1965, behind a pair of touchdowns from Ross Goodpasture, who had transferred in before the season from Dayton, Ohio. Quarterback Mark Javarski accounted for three TDs, one passing and two running in that route. 
I thought I had found the Holy Grail when I found that box score in the Lincoln paper because it showed Fremont on the bottom line of the box score. I thought I had found a Panther Road win. A quick doubles check of preseason schedules, though, and a clip from the Sioux City Journal to confirm rightly placed this game in Norfolk. Norfolk's home record during that series was not great. 7-12-1. But that's not so far off from the 50-50 we would expect a record to tend to after all those years. But here's the big reveal. Fremont's home record versus the Panthers was much better than 50-50. Over those 40 years, Fremont at home versus Norfolk was 19-1. Yes, 1. 19-48. Only the second time the Panthers had traveled to Fremont for a Big Ten East game, they won. The final was 6-0. Leon Lauver made a big second-half fumble recovery deep in the Tiger into the field, and Jack Dalton turned it into the only score of the game a couple plays later. Also lugging the ball for Norfolk that afternoon was the Panthers' leading scorer on the year, Glenn Blakeman. Blakeman would play in the National Junior College Basketball Tournament while at Norfolk Junior College, and while he was serving overseas, he was part of the United States Air Force Baseball's European Championship team. After returning stateside and graduating from Wayne State College, he coached the Herman Cardinals to Class D basketball runner-up trophies in 1963 and 1964. Then he worked 46 years as a basketball and football referee in Northeast Nebraska, mentoring young officials, including his son Cleet, star of the 1982 Panthers and of that Super Bowl. So there it is. The 1986 yearbook was wrong twice. One was big. The streak they were referencing was only for games in Fremont, not all games versus the Tigers. The other mistake was relatively minor, especially when one considers that the records of many high school streaks like this live in the heart rather than on paper. It wasn't true on that night in 1985 that Norfolk had not won a game in Fremont since 1944. It should have said since 1948. Still, that's an amazing statistic for two schools that were in the same conference and roughly the same size throughout all of those years. Now, now that we've got the historical context firmly in place for that Friday the 13th in 1985, let's return to Fremont's Memorial Stadium for the second half. Remember, the Tigers led 7-0 on a Gadowski touchdown pass. On the opening kickoff of the half, though, Norfolk's Scott Olson settles under the ball at his own five-yard line and grabs a hold of history. He finds a seam, and 95 yards later, the Panthers have tied the score 7-7. Less than 60 seconds later, lightning strikes, and Norfolk gets the kind of break you need when you're trying to break a 37-year-old streak of futility. A Panther defender steps in front of a Godowski pass for an interception and sets up the offense for a drive to take the lead. Alas, somehow the Lincoln Journal left out the name of this Panther defender who played such a big part in changing Norfolk football history. Still, with six and a half minutes left in the third quarter, running back Troy Drahota breaks loose and scores from 21 yards out to put Norfolk in the lead 14-7. Drahota is a familiar name to us as an all-state star of Norfolk's amazing 1987 state basketball title team. But in September of 85, he's unknown enough that the Lincoln Journal star misspells his name as Drahoga. The defense's battle after that 
as the Panthers work to keep Godowski under control. The Tigers find their way inside the Norfolk 20 three times in the second half, but can never break into the end zone. Finally, with just two minutes remaining, Drahota bursts across from a large yard out for the clinching touchdown, and the 19-game Fremont home winning streak against the Panthers is over. 21-7, enabling Norfolk senior Sean Duran to tell the Panther yearbook staff, quote, it was really neat to be able to leave Fremont with a victory. Yes, it was. For the first time since 1948, Norfolk goes back up Highway 275 with a win. Interestingly, 1985 was the first fall after the Big Ten Conference finally closed up shop. Both these teams joined the new Greater Nebraska Conference, but they were in separate divisions, Fremont in the Capitol and Norfolk in the Plains, that really competed as separate conferences. But before I get to the Norfolk-Fremont series post-Big Ten, let's talk about the years before the Big Ten. The earliest game between the two that I know of was in 1922 when Fremont went north and won 14-0. I know Fremont's football program had been stopped for several years in the late teens because the 1920 Columbus drubbing of the Tigers, the Discoverers won that game 116-0, is always explained as part of the pain of Fremont returning to the gridiron after a long hiatus. The Fremont yearbook of 1919 backs that up with no mention of football. Norfolk yearbooks from 1914 to 1921 show football schedules in each, but no game against Fremont. Even with experience on the Panthers' side, it was Fremont in the 20s with the advantage. Fremont was 5-2-1 in the first eight games played between the two teams, but... Uh, By the time Norfolk won that 1945 contest at home, the series record was much more even, 11, 10, and 3 in favor of the Tigers, exactly the kind of parity one would expect between such every-year rivals. What about since that 1985 game? Norfolk started the post-Big Ten era with that win over Godowski and the Tigers, and then won three of the next four games, including the next game played in Fremont in 1988. The series went 5-3 to to Norfolk before the next conference alignment shift. In 1993, the Greater Nebraska Capital Division, which included Fremont, left behind the Plains Division in Norfolk to form the Heartland Athletic Conference. The two schools had, for all practical purposes, been in separate leagues since 1985, but this made it an even bigger split. And in the fall of 1993, for the first time since 1991, the two schools didn't meet on the football field. I'm not exactly sure why that had to happen. Neither school had a full schedule just from conference games. Fremont uh, played Columbus and Hastings from the GNAC, South Sioux City, and Class B Lincoln Pius X. Norfolk played Grand Island, Lincoln High, and Lincoln East from the Heartland, as well as South Sioux and Mitchell, South Dakota. Why a couple of those games couldn't give way to the U.S. 275 silver football rivalry game, I don't know. But forces outside the control of the two schools and their conferences would conspire to reignite the series the next year, in 1994. Fremont was sent to Norfolk in the quarterfinals of the state football playoffs. The Tigers were ranked number 10, while the Panthers were the unbeaten number one team in the state. Three All-State players would take over the game for Norfolk. 
Running back Chad Bell broke loose early for a 54-yard touchdown, and then Curtis Miller connected with Kyle Eberhardt from 66 yards out, and the Panthers had control. They would win 28-7 and then handle their other rival Columbus in the semis and Omaha Benson in the finals for the school's first state football championship. Fremont coach Dave Schrader said after that quarterfinal matchup with Norfolk and its big three stars, quote, this is probably the best team I've seen in all my years of coaching. This was David versus Goliath, and Goliath was triplets. The regular season meetings were renewed after that. From 1985 to 2013, Norfolk controlled the series 19-8, including eight straight wins from 2006 to 2013, matching the longest streak Fremont ever managed during the Tigers' years of Big Ten dominance over the Panthers. In 2014 and 2015, the two old rivals didn't meet again. The state had taken over scheduling in the early 2000s, but the Class A districts in those two years didn't preclude the two playing, I don't know why it didn't happen. They resumed the schedule in 2016 and last year, with the two splitting and the home team winning both times. If you've been doing the math, you know Fremont still leads the series, but it has tightened considerably, heading back for that 50-50 ratio that all rivalries tend toward. Fremont 50 wins, Norfolk 39 wins with four ties through 93 games and 96 years. In 2017, Fremont won 26-9 and claimed the silver football for the first time since 2005. This season, Norfolk left the GNAC to join Fremont in the Heartland, and yet, strangely, the two were not scheduled to meet on the football field. That's a shame. I had hopes that maybe the 16-team Class A football playoff bracket would find a way to throw them together, but it didn't happen. Next year, they're not scheduled to meet in the regular season, but maybe we can count on the playoffs again. If somehow that happens, someone please get a picture of that silver football for me. That's it for this episode of Suiting Up Varsity. We'll be back soon with more stories from the wonderful history of Nebraska high school sports. Until then, follow us on Twitter, where we are Suit Up Varsity, and we've had quite a good time sharing old Nebraska high school sports pictures and memories. Or check out our still-developing homepage, including a feed of all those pictures and tweets at suitingupvarsity.org. You could also tweet us your answer to this week's trivia question. What eight current Class A football schools have never claimed a Class A state football title in either the playoffs or the ratings era? There are eight of them. This has been Suiting Up Varsity Season 3, written and produced by me, Greg Mays, technical and research assistance by my brothers Tate Mays and Trent Mays, helpful audio advice and encouragement from Chris Shukai, and, as always, dedicated to Jerry Mathers, the godfather of Nebraska high school sports history and the inspiration for this podcast. Suiting Up Varsity is the anchor show of the Nebraska Varsity Network. Copyright 2018.